We are continuing in our series called Walk by the Spirit today, which is based on two passages, one from Galatians 5 and 6, which we got an overview of last week, and our passage today from Colossians 3. And both of these passages, though, speak of the same thing. They are both speaking about the Christian life and that it is a life lived in the Spirit, a life shaped by the Holy Spirit. And this will involve removing things from our lives, such as pride, which I talked with the kids about today, but it will also involve adding things to our lives which do belong in our lives, such as humility. And I hope you will see this clearly in our passage today, Uh, otherwise I haven't done a very good job, but I pray even more than that, that you will know the necessity of it, that this is not an optional part of our lives, not at all. But after calling this series Walk by the Spirit, one of the questions uh, you might have bouncing around in your mind today is that you've just heard our reading from Colossians 3 and you don't remember hearing the Spirit being mentioned in it. And you'd be right. Uh, The Spirit is not explicitly mentioned in it at all. And so we have to ask, is this passage talking about the Holy Spirit? Is it talking about walking and living by the Holy Spirit? And I absolutely believe it is. And I want to show you a connection here that Paul makes, which is foundational to understand any any of this and indeed our Christian lives. So right towards the start of this letter, right towards the start of Colossians, Colossians 1 verse 7, Paul speaks of someone called Epaphras, which is quite a name. But Epaphras was also quite a guy. He was the guy who originally shared the gospel with the Colossians. And this is what Paul means when he says, you learned it from Epaphras. The it here is the gospel. Epaphras told the people in Colossae about Jesus and about his cross and about salvation in him. And it is from Epaphras, sorry, it is Epaphras who tells Paul of the Colossian Christians' love in the Spirit. Now note that phrase, because both Epaphras and Paul link receiving the gospel with receiving the Holy Spirit and with it bearing fruit, like love, in our lives. Now this is so important because while our passage in Colossians 3 doesn't explicitly name the Holy Spirit, this connection This link, this development is what is being described in Colossians 3. Receiving Jesus leads to receiving the Holy Spirit, which leads to walking by the Spirit and to bearing fruit. We need to get this connection in our minds. And this is what we see described in the first few verses of our passage in Colossians 3. Verse 1, since then... You have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is painting us a picture here of what the Christian life, a life of faith, is like. And foundational to it is that our lives are united with Christ. If you are a Christian, your life from start to end is a life united with Jesus. But we can forget this. We can forget it or we can be deceived about it. And I believe the most common deception we find are people who believe their union with Jesus is all past tense and not current or future tense. Now that's a little wordy and perhaps a little vague, but Paul divides the Christian life into three phases here. And we see these in, well, verse 3 of all verses. There Paul tells us that we have firstly died with Jesus. That's the cross. By faith we have taken hold of Jesus' death as our death for sin. And this is why I always go on about the cross, because it is the starting point. You can't skip it. There is no salvation, no adoption to God's family without it. But the cross is not our ending point. Uh, the second stage of the life of faith is that our lives are now hidden with Jesus in God. And I find this so helpful because to the world, our lives often look little or no different. We still sin. We still get sick. Where is the miracle in our lives? People ask the same thing of Jesus on the cross, but we understand that our lives are united with Jesus. His death was for us and his resurrection is for us. And that means our lives are with him. In a sense, a very real sense, our life right now is found in heaven because that is where he is. And this is important because our life, our faith in Jesus will only be evident. It will only be seen when he is revealed, when he returns. And the incredible promise is that when he appears in glory, and that is how he is coming back. He might have left quietly, but he's coming back loudly. So will we be revealed. We will be glorified. And what a promise that is for us. It is a greater promise, a greater future than winning every lotto and sweepstakes on the planet ever. I mean, that, that is a promise. That is something to look forward to and, and anticipate. And if I can try and picture these three phases, firstly, we have died with Jesus. That is his cross. Then we have risen with Jesus. And ascended, that is, we are accepted by God, but our lives are hidden currently. And we will be glorified with Jesus on his return. That is our adoption to God's family being fulfilled. I hope that that is a helpful picture in thinking about your union, your relationship with Jesus. The point of it, though, is that we are in the middle phase currently. Our experience of our faith is that our lives are hidden from this world. Oh, they are safe, but they are hidden. And we didn't forget this. We didn't start to think or to believe that our lives are found elsewhere. 
especially we didn't start to think that our lives are found in the things of this world. Which is what Paul warned us of when he called us to live out our faith, to live out our union with Jesus by looking to him. He tells us, verse 1, since then you have been raised with Christ. That is, God has accepted you in Jesus. Set your hearts on things above where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Paul is calling us, isn't he, to know where our lives are found now. Because Jesus is in heaven, that is where we will find our lives. And this is why Paul calls us to turn our minds from earthly things to heavenly things, to turn our minds from sinful things to where Jesus is found. And perhaps you've heard the phrase that people who think too much of heaven are no earthly good. And I, look, I sort of get what they are saying there, but the Bible actually disagrees with that. It says that we can be no earthly good until we are heavenly minded, because to be heavenly minded is to be Jesus minded. It is to have faith in him. It is to be spirit led. It is to have Jesus's values and actions as our aspirations. And that is where our lives are found. And I hope we all, would all agree that Jesus was the most heavenly minded person. We could say the most kingdom minded or the most spirit led person. And he was a lot of earthly good, wasn't he? So do you understand your union with Jesus like this? That you aren't only united with him in his death, but you are united with him now and until he returns. Or to put it another way, does your faith in Jesus stop when he got out of the grave? Because that's shortchanging Jesus. He came to do more than walk out of a out of a grave. Not that that was a small feat. I'm not diminishing it for a moment. And I'm not picking on you either. I think for a long time, I was this sort of Christian. I really had faith in Jesus's cross, but not much more. And I think this is fairly common. Now, the cross absolutely, absolutely is the starting place for us all. That is what last term was all about, the message of the cross. But Jesus doesn't stop there and neither should our faith in him. He is our life now, today, in heaven, and he will be our life and glory when he returns for us. So is our faith in Jesus as big as it should be, or does it perhaps need to get a little bigger? Do we understand the phase we are in with Jesus, that our lives here are lives of faith when we are still looking to him as the one who holds our life. This is so important because it sets us up for understanding the Holy Spirit who continues Jesus's role in us, that the Holy Spirit will work on us to turn our minds towards Jesus. And this is the next question for us. Where are you looking? What is your mind set upon? Is it set upon earthly things or heavenly things? Has your faith slipped from the risen Jesus to something uh, a little closer to you? And you're starting to trust in that instead of him. And I want to give you a few more questions 
that will help you work out where you are looking and what you are trusting. Our first one, what do you what do you daydream about? Now, we'd likely get some funny answers to that. Uh, some days, currently, I dream of being able to go out for a nice coffee. But what fills your mind as a goal, the, the thing that you desire or aspire for? Because that will show where you are looking. To earthly things or to heavenly things? Are you looking to Instagram or Facebook? Is that what is shaping you? Or is it the TV or politics? Not that politics are unimportant, but they are also not where our faith should be and not where our mind should be primarily. Or is it a relationship? Is that what consumes your mind? Perhaps you desire one or the one you have fills your mind for the wrong reasons. Basically, where are you getting your identity and value from? What are you trusting and esteeming in your life? These are, were important questions for the Colossian Christians, and they are important for us as well. Oh, the Colossian Christians didn't have the internet and Instagram like we do, but they knew how loud the world is. They knew how it could drown Jesus out. They knew how alluring sin is. They lived in the same gravity-like pressure of this world which we do, which can make the risen Jesus seem so small and even unnecessary even anymore. And I think this is part of the reason Paul calls us to seek the things that are above. Jesus, yes, is literally in heaven, but the point is that he is still our life. But are we aware of it and are we living like it? Are we looking to him now in trust and love for our lives? And this brings us to the middle section of our passage, verses 5 to 11, where we find our first list. And it is an attention-grabbing list, isn't it? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, just to get started. I'm not going to focus on the list much today, because that is part of of what we are going to be covering over the coming weeks. But I want to offer a few quick points, a couple of quick points about the list before we get to the heart of this middle section. Firstly, Paul tells us that all of these things that he lists belong to our earthly nature, verse 5. That is our, our sinful, fallen nature. And did you hear what he said in verse 7? You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Paul isn't naming names here. He's not reading the list while looking at Bob. You know, he's not going sexual immorality, impurity. Hey, Bob. Uh, that would be really mean-spirited. But Paul is being real when he gives this list. Everyone is included, and we need to be real as well. Many of us can read this list and tick multiple parts as our experience, and we need to acknowledge this, because this is our past. It is our experience, and pasts can cast long shadows on our present. But right alongside this, we need to acknowledge that we are not unique either. This is the common experience of every Christian, that we have a past, so we can't feel like we are the worst either. 
Secondly, in verse 6, Paul tells us that because of these things, these sinful impulses, these sinful actions that he has listed, that the wrath of God is coming. And Paul gives us a clear reminder here that there will be consequences for all sin. God is not indifferent to sin. Ours or anyone else's. But sometimes we can start to think he is. Sometimes we can start to think that God isn't doing anything about sin. So what's the problem? Psalm 94 describes this belief in people when it speaks of the wicked saying in their hearts, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob takes no notice. Basically, these people think that God doesn't see and doesn't care about their sin. But that is not so. And the psalm carries on saying, take notice, you senseless ones among the people, you fools. When will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? Paul has already called us all to turn our minds to Jesus and to our new life in him. But there is also value in looking the other way. There is value in looking back and realizing that our old selves, our old way of living, faces only God's wrath. That was our future apart from Jesus. And this awareness should compel us to look more sincerely to Jesus for our new lives. It should compel us not to play with sin. And this seriousness about sin is what Paul calls us to when he calls us to put these earthly impulses to death and to rid ourselves of them. Which let's not forget that these include anger, slander and filthy language. He is calling us to take sin seriously, isn't he? And Paul sounds a lot like Jesus in doing so. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in Matthew, sorry, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, Jesus warns us against calling our brother a fool in anger or else we'll face the fire of hell. Likewise with lust, Jesus calls us to take it so seriously that we'd gouge out an eye or cut off a hand to avoid it. Now that is calling us to put our earthly nature to death, isn't it? That is calling us to put our sinful nature to death, to get rid of it. John Owen, a Christian pastor of old, put it pithily as, you be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And generally, I don't think we take sin this seriously. Let's remember that God takes sin this seriously. Jesus was indeed cut off and put to death for our sin. That is how seriously we should be taking it. It does not belong in the new life he has given us. So let's not get blasé or indifferent about it. Two quick points, but the heart of this middle section is actually verses 9 to 11. And there we read, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which has been renewed in knowledge 
in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Uh, these verses explain the middle phase of our Christian lives. That we shouldn't lie to one another, or anyone else for that matter, because lying, like sexual immorality, belongs to our old self. The sinful self that Jesus died for on the cross. In Jesus, we have taken our old sinful self off and received a new self, a new identity as a child of God. Now, this identity is something we have, but let's be honest, there is still some work to be done on us. If we understand the cross as God's payment for our sin, our debt, then we can understand in a sense that the ownership papers for us have changed hands, uh, but we're still very much doer-uppers. And look, God is happy with his purchase of us, but he knows he has work to do. And he has plans for us, plans to make us like Jesus, plans to make us into the people he has saved us to be. And the good news is that we have a committed new owner and that the Holy Spirit lives in us now. We are not alone in this. Uh, the bad news, if we can call it that, is that there will be some demo work in our lives and God God doesn't care about making a mess. He has the end goal in mind. He sees what we will be. So if there is rot in our lives, he will remove walls to get rid of it. Actually, he'll take the building down to the foundation if he has to. He is building for eternity. And he's a good builder. But the way this works the best is if we know his plan if we have seen God's plan for us, because then we understand that while the demolition in our lives will feel painful, uh, we know it is for a good end. And Jesus is the plan for us all. It doesn't matter if we are a man or woman. It doesn't matter if we are a Colossian Christian living hundreds of years ago who might have been a slave and couldn't read or write. It doesn't matter how old you are, if you are nine or ninety-nine God's plan is the same for us all. Jesus is our saviour and he is the model and blueprint for our lives. Paul described Jesus in Colossians 1 verse 15 as the image of the invisible God. Basically, when we see Jesus or know Jesus, then we know God. We know our creator whose image, whose likeness we were originally designed to bear. And this is what God, through the Holy Spirit, will be working on us, will be working in us to achieve. Whether God is tearing things down in our lives, like lust or greed or selfishness, or putting in a whole new wing that we've never had before. Perhaps we've never had a patience room in our life, so to speak. Well, that is not going to stop God building one in us. Yes, God has plans for us, good plans. Plans that we would be like him and one day with him. But do we know these plans? Do we know what he is working for in us? 
because if we don't we might begrudge when god starts some demo in our lives and look that's going to happen isn't it some things are going to have to be taken down and god doesn't ask for a building consent for us he has brought us at a great price in fact he has paid royally for us his plan for us is to return us to the original design for us in his demo work he is only ever getting rid of the unconsented additions that he never planned for us and he wants us to trust him and to be involved and to be excited in this work but that means knowing the plan it means knowing the goal that it is for our good because he is a good father he is a good builder which brings us to the last part of our passage verse 12 therefore as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved clothe yourselves with compassion kindness gentleness and patience bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone forgive as the lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity brothers and sisters we are chosen we are holy and we are dearly loved and we have things we have fruit we have virtues to put on as we are shaped into god's people and these things are foundational to all our lives all of us whatever our strengths whatever our dreams whatever gifts god has given you to build his church those are secondary matters do you hear what i said there your gifting by the holy spirit is secondary to who you are in jesus now please hear me i'm excited about your gifting i want to see you serve god's people and this world but that will end one day it will stop but who you are in jesus will never end and we're going to dive into these clothes for our lives over the coming week but the point here is that these are foundational for us as god's people i'd be really excited i'd be so excited about more people bringing words of wisdom or healing others that would be great wouldn't it but it is not foundational to your life or our lives together as god's people if you have the gift of prophecy a wonderful gift of god but do not have love you are a clanging symbol you are as nothing as paul reminds us in first corinthians 13. yes these things are foundational for our lives and the point is that jesus is our model for all of them yes we are called here to forgive as jesus has forgiven us but he is our model for all these virtues because he is the image of the invisible god and that is what we're going to do over the coming weeks together we are going to look to jesus we're going to set our minds on him and listen to the spirit and what it might be calling us to put to death and what it might be calling us to put on But i want to end with an image of our passage today and i hope this is helpful in summing up where paul has taken us 
I believe our first section is the bottom section of this pyramid. It is foundational for our lives. Are we seeking Jesus and setting our minds on him? Is our faith in him a faith that looks to him not only as the Sorry, is our faith in him a faith that looks to him as the holder of our life and the one who shapes our life? And then the middle section of this pyramid. We all have things to remove from our lives. Let us take sin as seriously as God does and as seriously as Jesus calls us to. Let's be a people who are willing to to cut off or gouge out that if it does not belong in the new life we have been given, we will be serious about getting rid of it that we might grow into the people we are meant to be. And lastly, let us put on Jesus. Let's get dressed as God's people. We received our new life in him and he calls us to be the people We were originally designed to be. Let's get to it. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, I give thanks that you have spoken through the Apostle Paul to the Colossian Christians and you speak to us today as well. You call us to understand our lives in Jesus. You call us to understand here That our faith was not just for the past, but it is for the present and for the future as well. That he has saved us and he holds our lives. And I pray for all of us that, that we will be intentional about this week. That this week, every day as we rise, we will turn our eyes to you, Jesus, looking to you. That you indeed hold our lives. Our lives are in you. And then we will come to understand through the help of your spirit what that means for us. That as you highlight the things that do not belong in our lives, things we likely know. That we will be proactive. We will be committed about removing, about putting to death those things, of getting rid of them. And Lord, may we know that we don't work alone. We don't just do this in our own strength, but your spirit is indeed in us working towards this goal as well. And that as much as something might be removed from our lives, you do not leave us naked. You do not leave us with a hole, but you clothe us. You have clothes, you have actions, you have desires for us to wear. And I pray for us all that we would grow into the people you would have us be. A people that you have redeemed for yourself. A people whom you have chosen. A people who are holy as you are holy. I pray this in the name of your Son, our Saviour. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I'm looking forward to this series with you. I pray it won't be too long until we can be back together again, but may your week be filled with the awareness that you are not alone. He who has called you sends you now to make him known. God bless, and I'll talk to you soon.